Welcome to Think Like a Penguin, The Art of Flying. This is the podcast to help you think outside the box, live more confidently against the grain and become your more authentic self. Penguins don't traditionally fly, but what's to say they won't one day? So here I am, sat in a, what would you call this, Rita? A camper van? Camper van. Camper van. Absolutely incredible view across the moors. There's some rocky bits. It's hard, I mean, I can't do it justice by explaining. I can see a bird of prey just doing its thing in the distance. And you're busy making coffee yes. with an Aeropress. I've never seen anything like it. So you put the coffee in over yeah. the top of the mug. Oh, yeah. Water's just been boiled on the stove in the back of your van. <laughs> and... And then you force it down like a little plunger. Yeah. And I am sat opposite the wonderful Rita. I don't know your surname, actually. Oh, Verity. Verity. Rita Verity. A glowing smile on your face. Pink hair. Pink and white hair. (laughs) And um, we're about to have a chat about your life, bringing fair trade into England, everything that you've done. Oh, she's very humble, everybody. (laughs) She's like, no, no, no. Um, And just essentially... Everything about what you have experienced in life that you're comfortable to share. Everybody has a story and I'm so excited to hear yours. And to put it in context, we don't believe in coincidences, but there is a huge link as to why I'm talking to you today. And that is your daughter, who I've only recently started to get to know and become a friend and do a bit of work with. And she lives in Perth, Australia. And you live in Haworth, which is a beautiful, quaint little village on the other side of the world. And I've come to Haworth to do some work this summer. And just so happened that Nicola, your daughter, was in town, back in her home village when I was over here for my first weekend. And we all had a, a little meet-up. We had a lovely little dinner, didn't we? A little we did. Pic- picnic sort of situation. So that is the intro. We've set the scene. The coffee is about to be plunged. I'd love for you to introduce yourself a little bit. I know I've done a bit of a intro, but tell us about who you are. What, <coughs> sum yourself up, if you can, in a in a little pink nutshell. <laughs> Only because you've got pink hair. Which is, have you always had pink hair? For about six, seven years now, wow. yeah. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I started with a little bit underneath and it just... Yeah, and, got uh, braver and, and braver. And there's no going back now. Um, yeah, my name's Rita Verity. Um, and I'll just put one thing straight. I did not bring fair trade to, Into to, the, to the UK. Right. <laughs> we will change that then. It, um, on the record. <clears throat> it, fair trade is, um, I'm wearing a fair trade t-shirt as well, by the way, um, in honour of this yes, uh, I did notice. little <laughs> interview. Um, fair trade has been going really since, what, 1946, the concept began, but then it went... It, it goes back a long way, and um, it was about in the 60s that Oxfam really um, brought it to the wider public in the Oxfam shops, um, and it, it's gone from there. So the concept of fairly trading and looking after um, the people that make our goods um, and being fair to them, basically, um, it has always been promoted um, in a small way. Why is it that on the way in, there's a sign saying this Haworth is the f- world's first fair trade village? Okay. And then I just put two and two together and knew that you bought 
fair trade into your shop. Yes. And I assumed, so forgive me for ju jumping to conclusions. <coughs> no, I understand that and thank you for thinking I would do that. <laughs> um, it was in, I opened my shop specifically as a fair trade shop in 2001. And the year before, somebody called Bruce Crowther, who's now a very good friend of mine, um, he was worked for Oxfam and was an Oxfam campaigner in Garstang in Lancashire, about, oh, I don't know, 40, 50 miles from here. And it was him that actually felt that it wasn't enough, that we could do more. And he visited people around his village, his town actually, Garstang, a small market town. Um, and he was passionate to actually start a movement of fair trade towns. Um, and he was the one that did it, all the work really, and then went to the council meeting and uh, with a supporter to second his proposal. And before they knew it, um, they'd voted <laughs> to be a fair trade town. He then approached the Fair Trade Foundation, yep. which is the licensing yep. of this mark in the UK, and discussed it and said, what we're going to do about it? You know, I think everybody could do that. And he worked with them to um, to create criteria that towns and villages and areas and little community groups could work with to actually become certified as a fair trade town to promote. So, so I do most people in the town have fair trade <clears throat> as a undercurrent as their common practice or do you elect shop certain shops or do you have to have a certain number of shops to qualify to become a whole town of fair trade well in the 20 well we became a fair trade village in um we were what was it two 2002 yeah after campaigning so we've been doing it a long time and but in that time things have changed but in originally Yes, there had to be all these certain criteria, um, certain uh, an, a, a, a minimum number of shops had to sell fair trade marked things. Yeah. Um, there had to be a steering group. There had to be a lot of campaigning. You had to be active, um, and various other things. And <coughs> and since then, oh, I, I I don't know the current figure, but it got to be seven hundred, eight hundred. In the UK, the, I mean, these spread across the world, yeah. uh, all over the world on every continent. Now there are fair trade towns. Oh. It's just incredible. But when we wanted signs putting up, I actually on our certificate it says with a a fair trade village. Yeah. So I asked the Fair Trade Foundation. I said, so can we say on our signs then that we are the first fair trade village? Would you agree to that? And they said, well, technically, yes, you are. You are the first fair trade village. I said, I will never, ever take it away from Garstang. Yeah. And that story inspired me and so many other people and to go across the world. So, But it's an opener to get the conversation going. And that is what it's all about, yeah. is to get people understanding and talking about fair trade and why it's important. And for those who are completely naive, and maybe, or maybe who actually haven't had the awareness when they're purchasing things to even consider what fair trade is, can you sum up what fair trade is and how it impacts 
positively. Obviously, we know, and I'm sure a lot of people know, but just the implications of what that actually means when you have the option to purchase the same item that is fair trade versus the same item that is not fair trade, what are the differences? Right. There are many, but originally... The, there were the fair trade mark was the strapline was it guarantees a fair price um, for producers in in developing countries. I think that's something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it it was the only guarantee, and it still is the only visible, easily recognisable guarantee. But twenty years ago there was really nothing to compare and if somebody really did care and the guarantee is that people um that grow the the started like bananas um was the, one of the first chocolate. yes yeah. yes chocolate uh, co- coffee etc there's many more things now cotton and footballs and all sorts roses um but it, initially it, it guaranteed them a minimum price for their crop yeah. which they weren't getting. They'd grow it, this crop and it, they were then at the mercy of the world market prices and sometimes they didn't have enough money at the end of the season to feed the family and it was just appalling. Um, but not only the price, so they guaranteed that price and yeah. then if the price goes up, they get all that as well. Plus a premium, which they then invest into their community and they decide as a sort of cooperative what they're going to buy. Mm-hmm. Do they need, uh, you know, shoes for the kids even, as basic yeah. as that. Um, community toilet or a... Toilets. Um, yeah. But as fair trade and campaigners have been working and raising awareness, th- things have changed and fortunately more people are now aware they're looking at the criteria, they're looking at what's available and what mm. the ethical policies are. I so, think they may be at, I mean, I was going to say in our generation, I suspect we're, we're two different generations, you and I, but... Unfortunately, <laughs> No, we're only two apart, one apart. But um, unfortunately, I think, and I'd love to your thoughts on this, fast fashion and the youth of today where they get a new two pound or two dollar t-shirt every few months because the likes of big chains that do cheap fashion fast fashion they just it's not about protecting the producer it's not about making sure children aren't working in sweatshops and I uh, I'm working at a camp this week as you know I'm working over the summer with with youth and I, I very briefly mentioned this they came into your shop yesterday some of them and we spoke a bit afterwards about do you think about the who's 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 made this the effect it's had on their health how old this person is the conditions in which they're working in da, 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 da. the answer is nah i just want a cheap tea and it's i think we need to fair trade has to find a way to maybe get the message across to the next generation because i think you and i we understand it we also have the luxury of a more financial security where we can make those purchase choices based on morals and based on ethics and based on wanting to do the right thing by the producers. But I think kids these days, they do not it's not even a consideration. They see a fashion, they see a, a new Nike shoe or they see a 
a chocolate bar and they just want it. They don't care. They don't. Maybe they don't even know. So, well, I'm sad to hear that because I think I think the <coughs> the the opposite really. Not not quite the opposite, but there is far far more awareness, and young people are, are the ones is being taught in schools. There are people about um, really advocating this to schools. Just near here, fair and funky to uh, to to people that I know, Helen and Sophie. They've been working for years with schools. Mm educating about recycling etc now fair trade the other thing about fair trade that i'm talking about the fair trade mark um it's always advocated just more than just the price it has been right from the beginning educating and helping the the farmers understand um how to grow crops without pesticides etc and helping them in that way so there's a lot of other things that go along with it, not just child labour, which is a massive one, obviously, um, but m- many other things as well, mm-hmm. talking about the planet. And that's been going on years with help from the fair trade premium. Yeah. Now, going back to young people nowadays, I think they are more aware mm-hmm. and they're excited and they needed something they need a cause young yes. people need they need to they've got fire you know and they yeah. want to rebel a bit and to give them actually give them a really good cause and when you mention children yeah and slave labor they identify with that and think yeah that's not fair yeah. and you explain to a, a toddler in well that's a bit mean really <laughs> but a young person very young person about this this little girl has to um has to pick these crops in the fields and she's not allowed to play or go to school yeah is that fair now what's a five-year-old going to say no it's not fair i think that's really what it is all about is just having the conversation i i know for a fact there are many families that would have and schools and community groups and and play areas that would that encourage conversations like this there are also very naive communities that don't talk about it and there's no harm in just is in a very child appropriate way sharing the truth you don't have to kind of show pictures of starving children or show famine or show you know you don't you just you just ask the question and do a bit of a healthy comparison and Mm. and um uh, yeah, hopefully this conversation will spark one person on the way home from school or, a, you know, picking up the kids, just go, guys, have you ever heard about fair trade? Or have you ever mm. considered, if you want that chocolate bar or if you want to purchase that top, but you want it in five different colours, how about we just get one, but we get it in the fair trade version yes. and you pick your favourite? Because I mean, there's too much disposability these days yeah, and not enough true. care for the whole product line and... I mean, from this label now, the fair trade label, I mean, that campaigning, as I said, has has really changed people's thinking. So uh, this is very specific, the Fair Trade Foundation and the Fair Trade Market. It's very specific and very important and has changed millions of lives. But from that, people's awareness is now looking into 
um, where things come from. Yep. So it doesn't now have to be the fair trade mark. There are ethical people have an ethical policy. Yep. Um, if you look for it, and if they don't mention it, then they don't have one. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. But it's it, it's across the board now, and that you can get it. And there are big campaigns. Um, there's no need. Yeah. It's just buy less, buy less, buy, buy less better. And best, buy more consciously. And yes. if you aren't in a position where you have the financial freedom to buy all the things you want, second hand. Charity Absolutely. Shops. You can you can be clever and considered in your purchasing. You don't have to it doesn't have to be expensive because I imagine there'd be some people that would think it would be. I, my, but my shop mm. Well, you've been in my Even shop. Even yesterday, that lovely boy was like, oh my God, only two pounds. I'll go, I'll get five. And then I was like, it was love and life. Yeah. Yeah. My yeah. shop is not expensive. Now, most things in there don't carry the fair trademark. Yeah. Apart from the chocolate and the coffee, which you are drinking. Consuming at this very Actually, moment. That, that particular one is from Sainsbury's, but it's still got the fair trademark yeah. on. Um, yeah. Where's that other coffee? Was Just bring. at the top oh, right. This one. Yeah. This one, Cafe Direct. That is one of the pioneers. I've sold Cafe Direct and Divine Chocolate. Yeah. Um, and they are partly farmer owned, and that is the pinnacle. Yeah. And the CEO. Of and that's the other thing. Cafe Direct. It, if you been can't to do Howard. fair trade your whole life, choose a couple of things. Choose your coffee in the morning choose your healthy snacks or your chocolate snacks or choose your cotton socks like just pick one thing and you mentioned the word that I mention every episode is awareness it's just first of all having the awareness about how you purchase and your consumer habits and can you do one change even from the back of this conversation can you just make one Mm. fair trade choice that's going to empower someone on the other side of the world someone in a less Mm. fortunate position I want to move along and and change the subject now more specifically to you Rita because you are (laughs) such an interesting character and I want to know we can we can build it up to the point of where you started your fair trade shop and how you got passionate about that but I'm assuming as a young girl let's start in your sort of teenage years you probably didn't think "Mm, one day I'm going to own a fair trade shop in Haworth on the main street what Take us through a journey, a story of your life. Anything that comes to mind, you think, oh, yeah, that's that's what I did in my teens. Maybe we take it a decade at a time or just anything that comes mm. about. Because I think it'd be fascinating to let the people know <laughs> just about you. And, and Okay. Uh, when you're saying that, one thing I do remember, from which is linked, really, when I think about it, um, when I was at school, probably... Um, only tw- 12 or something mm-hmm. and I lived in Bradford we moved to Bradford that's just outside Leeds everybody that is yeah, from yes, England yes that's right um, uh, we had to move um, because I lost my, my dad and we moved in with my grandparents in Bradford now it's there's quite a, a big Asian population now but then there wasn't but at school one day this dark girl arrived and was introduced Mm. in assembly and I thought oh my god I've got to get there first and be her friend 
<laughs> I was desperate to be her friend. Do you know why? You just you just had a year. I don't know. You just had a connect. You just yeah. Different. She was different. Yeah, you you wanted to connect and with the difference. I yeah. was different because um, I'd moved around a bit and felt a stranger in schools and. Yeah. Um, I've never felt the same as everybody else. I, I feel a little bit different. And I suppose I but I identified, oh, I've got, to, so as soon as we were allowed and playground, I went up and said, hello. Can I be your friend? <laughs> I, I feel pretty bad now because I can't remember her name. She did teach me to write my own name in Urdu, oh. which goes backwards, actually. And I can almost do it now in the air like that. Yeah. Um, and I, I've forgotten her name. But she became a friend. I went to her house and met her family. And I, I think that is kind of relevant yes. to what I feel and do and look at the world. Yeah. And that's probably my first adventure into um, wanting to, to help the underdog. Not that she was an underdog, but that the kind minority. of... Uh, you know, yeah, 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 person that might be a bit different and might need me. <laughs> yeah, need me. Now there's a telling, mm. telling phrase, isn't it? Interestingly, I can relate to that story so closely. I was at school and the deputy headmaster called me up to the office, and I thought I was in trouble and I was so nervous because I, I I always <laughs> like to please and do the right thing, and I said, "Come on in." And he, he looked at me into my soul, you know, connected eyes. And he said, how are you doing, Liv? And obviously he's a headmaster. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm fine, thanks. Just politely respond. He said, no, no, how are you doing? You know, looking into my soul. And again, I'm like, yeah, no, I'm fine, thanks. He said, mm, your aura is telling me a different story. Anyway, two hours later, so this was at the end of school. He called me up. I was passing. I had no doubt he, he knew I was leaving and called me up at that time. Um, he introduced me to the world of tarot, Reiki, spiritual healing, chakras, auras and all of that. And for the first time in my life, I got excited about connecting to others because I have also always felt different. I've always felt disconnected, lonely, lost, looking for my tribe, but never really feeling fully connected in a way that I could see other people in sports teams or cliquey groups or whatever. I just I've never felt like I've belonged. And then having that exposure to there's an otherness. It's not so black and white. There's a, there's a whole other world out there. And I know it's not a person that excited me in the way that your friend at school did, but it was, it was just that difference that kind of got me excited to explore. And to come from a headmaster who you clearly respected... Yeah, um, I mean that he was wearing a mask. That was that was his. He learnt very well how to fit into society and play the game of life. But the, he's he's still one of my best friends to this day. I mean, he's oh, in his late sixties. Wonderful. And um, yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> so you became her friend. And yeah. That set you off on the path. Of I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how it. It's only recently when somebody asked that, that did I did remember that. Mm. Um, so after school then, and into your early 20s, what did life look like? Well, um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I wasn't very good at school. Look, Fortunately, English 
came fairly naturally to me, but I wasn't I wasn't very good at anything else. <laughs> um, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And um, <coughs> I just, <coughs> excuse me, just went into retail. Um, followed my mum, actually, she did that. Uh, but it was cool. And then I met my uh, Nicholas' dad, yep. your friend's dad. <laughs> yeah. Um, very, uh, very young. And we got married when I was 18. <gasps> did you? Yeah. So. Wow. Uh, but we're talking the 60s, yeah. right? And that wasn't uncommon. Was he your first sort of love or your first yeah. romantic relationship? Yeah. And then you just I thought, found, oh, this is it now. Well, I found a man and hung on to him, really. Uh. <laughs> I think that goes back to really losing my dad. Yes. So that male energy was there, somebody, yep. a male energy, a man that, that, you know, loved me, and I think he did then. Um, and we hung out together for for since I was fifteen, yeah. And three three years it was, and we got married. Um, and then I had two children yeah. uh, in my early twenties. And then Did we. You, do you ever remember? And this is probably a hard question to answer. Feeling too young? Did you feel it was all going too fast? Did you feel no. out of depth? Did you, you know, no, not at all. Yeah. Not at all, because in the 60s, that is what you did, really. Yeah, okay. If you didn't have a career or go to university, you got married and yeah. had children. And, um, but clearly, for me, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't... I wanted to do more. Yes. I wanted to... I've always had... Um, been creative and wanted to try all sorts of things you know so and he was a musician and um and went away a couple of times with the band and I said I don't want you going away not without me and he said well you you know you, you don't play anything you need to play something I said right I will but we had no money yeah so I bought a book to teach keyboards and I, I cut a cornflake box into a keyboard, and felt tipped this keyboard onto a opened out cornflake box and little dots, and I learned to play by putting the dots on. Wow! I didn't know what it sounded like, but I learned chords that way. Wow! Root plus two plus one and a half, etc. And and then he'd come home from work, and I say, "Oh, look! Listen to this. Give me a give me a chord." And he'd say something. <laughs> I hear anything? Like G seventh with a diminished sixth. I don't know if that even is one. Now I've forgotten. I'd say, "Okay, okay," and I'd work it out and do this little chord, and then you know he realised that I really wanted to do it, and we saved up forty pound actually to buy a little keyboard this is um, what i love that that in the back in the day and I'll, i refer to it like that because it is it was like a whole other world ago yeah it was people saved and therefore they appreciated more what they got mm. i remember wanting a disco hopper and it's one of those ridiculous ball things with a bit of a plastic kind of ridge around the outside it looked like a planet and you basically squeezed your inner feet between on either side and you bounced on it yeah and i wanted one of those <laughs> for um months 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 and i saved we got 20 pence for every week we were not caught sucking our thumbs so it's a kind of an incentive <laughs> to stop us from sucking our thumbs but also 
<laughs> we we the promise was you could then perch save up and put and I had so much respect for that stupid bouncy ball object. Yeah. Because I'd uh, I'd saved and I'd invested yes. and I put energy yes. and time. I think people just get given stuff and there's no appreciation for the object, but then no the, value. The, there's no value mm. in, in yeah. the getting it either because mm. it's just everything's just so and I think that's what breeds and I'm going a little bit off topic. Um entitlement. Mm. I, I find it a really challenging um problem at the moment a lot of younger people feel like they deserve anything and everything there's yeah. this air of well i want it so i'll get it but then they don't appreciate it because they haven't had to work for it so that thank you for showing that that's amazing <laughs> yeah Isn't great well that was it it's just that we there was no way we could i could get a keyboard straight away and i had to kind of proof to myself that and I had in any way I had to I had to prove to myself that I could do this thing so it was by buying a book for about I don't know four pounds or something um and learning to do it and that was then my in and it's also telling the universe look I'm serious about this I want to do it and showing intention yes and that's what I did showed intention so we got the got the keyboard and we went for a Butlins audition now so, do you know Butlins, Butlins I know Butlins but I'm sure a lot of people won't know Butlins Butlins is a bit of a holiday camp yeah kind of you go if you can't afford to go overseas you go around the UK and there's these places that are set up for a week worth of family entertainment yeah. and you butlins, all inclusive butlins i'm assuming you would be the entertainment yes. one night and you'd play we played six and... nights six nights um no six days dinner time and night we played five hours a day and at that point i had two children two so ones. we had a nanny that came wow. with us the drummer's wife came down and looked after Nicola and Paul (laughs) yeah so we did a Butlins audition and got the gig and it wasn't because I could play well it was because I had a mini skirt on (laughs) (laughs) and I was stood up (laughs) sort of twiddling this little keyboard we want the story to be about Uh, your playing uh, well no not at that point we fit the criteria was yes um they were looking for bands for Butlins um and they had they employed a lot of bands because they had a lot of bars yeah to fill and um you know yeah three guys and a and a, you know a lady with legs in a yeah yeah oh. so we got the gig they didn't yeah. care that i couldn't play but anyway we did that for a season and then after that um yeah, we just became a duo, yeah. uh, working in the clubs and pubs around Yorkshire and a bit further sometimes for seven years. Wow. What was your band name? Sugar and Spice. Sugar and Spice. I'm going to Google it. There'll be, <laughs> there'll be photos of you back in the day, I'm sure. I don't sure. think there are Sugar many. and Spice, everybody, go and check them out. <laughs> Do you have it on, on like Apple Music or can we no, download <laughs> No. Did you ever write your We're own material? Or no, just, no, it was... It was tie a yellow ribbon round the old oak tree, and oh my god! It was popular things like yeah. that that you know was sing along stuff yeah. at Butlins. It was a good time because you know I I had uh, I'd only got my little cornflake packet before then, yeah. and then first you know six, five hours a day 
six days a yeah. week throughout the summer, I was playing. Yep. Uh, so that was my apprenticeship, really. I want to talk about intention because you mentioned it just then. But really, I mean, we spoke about this yesterday. I came and popped by in the yeah. shop. And often, actually always in life, you might have a dream, but you don't know how you're going to make it happen. Nobody ever, if they've never done something before, will know the perfect steps from A to B. Because you can't go off experience because you haven't had any and you, you just don't know. But the I think the the problem is when someone has a dream, they think of all the ways that they can't do it or they think, I don't have the manual. I don't have the step-by-step guide, so therefore how am I going to make it happen? You don't need to know the step-by-step guide. You had no idea with your cornflake box that you would then get an audition to Butlins and end up, end up playing at Butlins. You just had a dream and the intention and you took the first step, the cornflake box. Ingenious. Well done, you. <laughs> but I think that's if people take one thing away from this conversation, it's about having, having the intention and then moving in that direction rather than having a dream and then coming up with all the ways that dream can't happen Yeah. or just parking the dream. Just put it out in the universe. There is a reason why I'm sat in your wonderful camper van on the top of this hill, 365 degree view of the moors, <laughs> and you are the mum of my friend in Perth yeah. and here I am in the same village that you have been in most of your life and I've just arrived at for work. Yeah. I'm here because I had the intention of giving myself two months out or a time in summer in the UK so I could assess where I want to go next in life. You had the intention, I don't know what, maybe you've planted a seed as well to have this conversation back in the day and we don't even know it, but these things... Start with the dream and then that first step. And you were sharing yesterday about your shop, actually, and how you had the intention, but it was only 10 years after the intention that yeah. it all came together. Yeah. And I think that is closely linked with entitlement, but there's this impatience. Mm. I think people, we see success now. We see social media. We see other people's lives more than we ever have before. And there is this expectation that, oh, it's happened to them overnight. They've become famous or they've had this restaurant success or they've got this. And it seems like it's happened like a flash. I have been personally painting for over 20 years. It's only in the last year that I've become a full-time artist. Things take time. So we need the intention and we need a patience and realistic expectation that it's not going to happen overnight. So can you give an example? Maybe you could speak on your shop or another part of your life where you've had the intention and then you've just trusted the universe or you've kept that and held that intention in mind and you've never let go of that dream and you've just had it there always and it's helped you to guide your intuition to take the next step, the next step. Can you think? I'm sure there's many examples. It's hard. Yeah, there prob- probably are many examples, but I, I suppose the shop is is kind of is one. That's what I was talking about yesterday when you popped in. Um, it's called Sonia's Smile, and the reason it is because it, it was. Um, I was shown a photograph of um, of of three little girls in Peru um, that a friend of mine who I'd just met uh, over 30 years ago, I'd just met him and we were chatting about holidays 
and he showed me his holiday photographs and this photograph of three little smiley girls age about eight years old was taken in Cusco in um, in Peru in the marketplace and these little girls were holding woolly woolly items, woolly socks. And the one in the centre, they were all smiling. They were all looking at the camera. But the one in the centre, her smile held more to me. Something I couldn't explain. And I said, oh, my goodness, this... This photograph said, who are these little girls? And she said, oh, the one in the middle. She was called Sonia. And, um, yeah, the, in, in Cusco, they depend on tourists. So they, they do hassle a little bit and they run up in little groups and, oh, do you want these postcards, etc." And these little girls were doing that for the selling socks for them on behalf of the family. And he said she was sort of at the back of the group, jumping up and down oh. and all giddy. And he bought the socks and he gave her, I don't know, a few souls, which equated to a pound. And I said, that's not enough. What, you gave her a pound? He said, I know it's not enough. But even then, she ran off. She forgot to take the money. <laughs> and I had to call her back. And uh, he he um, he gave her the money. And uh, I said, well, I'm going to go and find her. I'm going to go to Peru. I'm going to find this girl and her friends. I'm going to buy all the socks. And I'm going to give her more money. Now, I said this at a point in my life where I had nothing. (laughs) I had nothing. I had no means of... I was actually um, homeless, really, technically. Um, And I... uh, Not not on the streets. I don't want to be disparaging about real homelessness. But I had... It was a a point in my life where I had actually lost everything and I'd been in hospital uh, for quite some time with um, with depression. And so I was at a point after all that. So I hadn't any money at all, but I said I was going to do that. And in my head, I had all intents and purposes to do it. Yeah. Um, and in your heart as in well. In my heart. Because that's the difference as well. You can't just think something you've got to feel it you've got I to believe felt it. it I said I'm going to do that yeah and um and that once I'd said it 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 never it didn't go away I couldn't it wouldn't leave me that thought and I'd see empty shops and think oh that would make a nice little shop and and then I started a little notebook I, I forgot to bring it with me don't worry I was gonna <laughs> I started a little notebook jotting down what I would do if, should I say, when this shop happened and I'd draw little designs and of what it would look like inside and, and design the carrier bag with a picture of the Andes on the front. And I thought, what would I call it? And then I went through the whole process of thinking of a name for it and I wrote that down and the process about 10 goes and then I thought what inspired me oh it was that little girl's smile what was the name Sonia Sonia's smile and instantly instantly something shifted yeah something shifted in me in the world really I kind of stepped in to another version a version where it existed this shop 
And again, I had no means of doing it. So I carried on with my life. The thing is, you don't, you haven't, I don't believe you have to ignore everything else in your life and just focus on this one thing. You have to hold that and then, yeah, patience is the key, is knowing the time will present itself. Yeah. You can't force it. You cannot That's where force trust it. Comes in. You have you to cannot... just respect that the universe has a plan, whether you believe yes. in God, whether you don't, whether you're atheist, whatever. But I find it very hard to believe that there is not some sort of divine force that has a plan for all of us. There is a plan. There are many plans. Yeah. And if that is the plan, you, you the the one you choose, the one that moves you, the one that that won't go away that keeps you dream about and yeah. you think oh that, what I could do with that and it makes you feel good and feel alive that is you know just keep visiting it keep hold it dear yeah. and and imagine it and vision it and um but get on with your with your life as it is because along the way you will be presented with opportunities to make that dream come true. And if you focus too much on it and not on what is here and now in the present, you might not recognise that opportunity that actually is leading to that dream. And I say that because it was 10 years. It was 2000. And two, like I say, when I opened the shop. And I had I still had no money in those ten years I didn't have anything. But I I was in a position where I mean this this friend who had shown me the photograph actually, um, Andy, um bought a house, a small house in Haworth and he helped me he let me live in it knowing I had no money uh, just to decorate and do it up um, for him so I did have a home he was very pivotal in helping me but also the person who showed me the photograph Mm. so I was then able to I, I heard a conversation overheard should I say because it wasn't my conversation it was down the other end of the table somebody else mentioned a shop coming up for rent and my ears tuned out of the conversation I was in and listened to that one and I had to say excuse me what were you saying about the the shop for for rent and I got the information and I found the landlord and he, at first he, he didn't know what he was going to do it took me about four or five times actually saying can you get, can you let me know what you're do, doing do you you know are you going to let me have it and eventually he said just hang on a minute and he had a word with um, with his wife and they said he said yeah you can have it and I went what <laughs> absolutely stunned and he he said yes if if you you can have it and I said well I'm I'm thrilled thank you but before we go ahead and shake hands on this I need to tell you that I don't have any money 
I don't have any money at all. But I know I can make this successful. I've got friends that would lend me yeah. money. Um, but I don't want to do that. I will if I have to. But I can't, in all honesty, take this on without you understanding that I, I actually don't have any any money, any means of doing it. And he just said, well, if you think you can do it, then let's give it a go. Come tomorrow for the keys and let's do it a month at a time and just see how you go. And that is how I happen to get my shop. Mm. That, that so much. Thank you for sharing all that because so many nuggets of wisdom have come out of that. The first one, well, well for the first one is the last thing you said, a month at a time. Whenever people try and achieve a goal, I think people overwhelm themselves with, I've got to do all of this. You don't. To run a marathon, you just take one step. Yeah. And then you take the next step, and then you take the next step. So breaking it down, this was when I was at school and had to revise for exams. The exam revision sort of help books were called bite-sized. Bite-sized revision, it was by the BBC. It was like a whole curriculum thing. And that's how we need to approach. If you have a dream... Keep lightly hold the dream, always have it there, but just take one step at a time towards the direction of your dream. It's yeah. a path, it's a journey. You're not going to get to the end at the beginning. But that's the whole point. You need to just, and then be honest, be, be a bit vulnerable. The amount of times that I have been vulnerable and honest, people then respond to that. They're grateful for the honesty, but they people generally, unless you're a psychopath, want to help. People like being able to support other people. So if you go... And I said this to my group of kids. I've got 70 of them at the moment that I'm in charge of. Guys, I'm dyslexic. I'm probably going to get your names wrong. Can you help me by telling me how to pronounce your names properly? I want to respect you by getting your names right. Because I've shown that vulnerability, they're more likely to actually want to connect. And that shows kind of instantly that we're on the same level. I'm not superior or anything. So, yeah, be vulnerable and honest and then patience. Yeah. And I love that you said don't um, don't ignore your life that you're currently leading. And I do this as a game sometimes. Sometimes when I can't sleep at night, there's an insight into my unusual brain. But I will trace a current moment in time all the way back through people, if that makes sense, the timeline. So my last job, I traced how did I get that job through all the people that I have met along the way in my last... 10 years to get to that point so it actually me getting my last job in Australia for a very wealthy businessman started actually when I was born so you can chase it all the way back I was born and then I was dyslexic so I went to a new um, school when I was at school there was an intern from Australia that intrigued me I liked the idea of Australia I thought one day I'm going to live in Australia Mm. no idea how that's happened moved to Australia when I was 22 met this person, approached all the private schools, said, hi, you've got money, I want to work for you, take me on as a private PT. So I worked at this one private school, met this person, this person applied for the job, she didn't get it, she didn't want it, she referred me, and I do this and I go back in time and I think, how have I got to here today meeting you in your camper van? (laughs) It's because I was in Australia, I left my job I started being an artist I had an open studios I met your daughter and and there's probably many links in between Mm. but we need to connect 
We need to, as you said, embrace opportunity. People are opportunities. Communities, human connection are opportunities. The amount of things that we get from meeting people because people have their own lives and their own offerings. Mm. I don't know what will come of this conversation. I mean, I'm, my spirit feels bright and I just feel like <laughs> well, that's enlightened and that's enough. <laughs> but it's just wonderful. So we have to connect more um, and, and trust that everything, even if it's a painful life lesson, can still be an opportunity, probably more so an opportunity. I've had many painful life lessons and when you're going through them, clearly you think why me and I'm you know why did they do this to me but nobody did anything to you you choose whatever it is that you step into and it can bring it well it brings what you expect sometimes Mm -hmm. um but they're all gifts whatever they are the gifts and if you can just see that, you can't see it at the time often. I didn't. But in retrospect, every single thing I've had that, you know, some people can look at it and say, oh, poor you. Oh, that must have been awful. No, it wasn't. Mm. It wasn't. It's reframing the thinking around what this event is going to offer you, what it's, this everything's fine. pain is going to teach you. Or everything, yeah, everything is fine. Everything, my deputy headmaster, who's my bestie, one of my good friends now, Nigel, um, he just says, well, everything just is. We, it's a human trait to um, label good or bad. We put things in black and white, beneficial, not beneficial, scary boring but we label there's always a yin and a yang to everything but that's it's that's just a human fabrication everything just is it's it is it's fine and in any moment you know the you you see the beauty um and it's there just being alive and breathing which i wasn't two years ago (laughs) i had a cardiac arrest and i see that as an incredibly exciting part of my life nicola was telling me about that you literally were brought back from the dead well when you have a cardiac arrest you're dead you're a goner (laughs) well you are clinically dead yes yes did you experience anything in that people some people say they feel an ascension or they see angels oh i wish i did i could make it up yeah go on for the listeners (laughs) give give us something good no all i can say is it didn't hurt (laughs) i just i just said i don't feel very well and uh next thing I, i woke up on a ventilator on a life support machine but i am Oh, gosh, I get choked up even thinking about how grateful I am that they took the care and looked after me and and didn't give up on me, Mm. Um, kept kept going with the um, CPR. CPR was 40-something minutes, wasn't it? I don't know how long, actually. Nicola said it was far beyond what they are required or is the kind of usual amount of time they work on on a body. Um, I I, re- I don't know the I'd like to see the notes actually, but I I don't know it was it it was a couple of hours, um, I think in in all uh, one of the nurses told me, um, 
but they could have given given up on me and they didn't mm. i think that was partly because it was caused by um not heart condition by Medication. blood clots yeah from an a from, minor operation didn't you uh, no a uh, total knee replacement i say minor operation yeah <laughs> i'm an athlete so it, it people was... have those all the time really. <laughs> yeah and and it, it was a few hours after that it was the following day and um so they knew that it was that and not my heart giving up so i think that's probably the reason but um yeah they didn't give up and the care I had was incredible and it was a difficult thing being on 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 the um the intubator it's not pleasant but what an experience what an adventure I am so you know the the world it's two years next month and the world is brighter because of it you know just breathing is is like amazing yeah i'm feeling a strange question and this is probably going to reveal more my mindset currently um so sorry if i project myself onto you but obviously you're a woman who loves adventure do you ever feel an addiction or a need for an adventure to the point where you you feel life is dull or boring or you're in search of your next sort of hit of adventure or do you feel like you've lived such an abundant life and you've had so many adventures that you actually are content you don't need any more major challenges or because I'm certainly I mean I'm, I'm very much projecting myself here but from a I'm in a position where life is fantastic but it's so easy compared to my past and I'm in a position where I'm craving that extra sort of drama or adrenaline but in a healthy way I don't want to take drugs or do an overdose whatever do you ever get that where you're just like oh come on life give me more I don't think I've finished yet no I I don't think I I love being on my own I love my own company me and my dog (laughs) um I'm not at all I I really do enjoy being on my own Mm. And I love traveling and being anonymous. <laughs> mm. I really like that. Um, but no, I don't s- settle. I still feel that there isn't enough time left for me mm. to do all the things that I want to do. And yeah. I can't even think what I want to do now because n- new things arrive on a daily basis. Um, my f- mind is still very adventurous, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and projects. I have to hold back a bit, really, because I could embark on all sorts of things. Um, it's choosing which ones to go down. Yeah, I feel we're is. quite similar in this yeah. regard, in that we both have a lot of ideas, a lot yeah. of creativity, a lot of um, distractions, if you like. And I will yeah. go, oh, here's an idea, and oh, here's an option. And even yesterday, I was putting out into the universe a potential um, presenting show that, yeah. that would be so cool to live in nature and go around the world by next week there'll be something out I'll be like, oh this looks pretty and i'll do that so it's it's choosing which one going back to when you have a dream and you need to hold it and you need to have it just there choosing one to have there because you can't have really 10 because oh, then all you can get, do you think yeah you're the only person that's can. ever told me that rita but i think i think, it's I think you can I do, I think you can. They're all just as valid and there is no harm. And the thing I like about 
visualising or fantasising really is it doesn't cost anything. Mm. I mean, I've done this all my life. I've had ideas and I've I, I've actually th- seen, oh, it's, it's hard to pick one really. But I, if I have an idea, I like you had yesterday, I will take that idea and then imagine it in detail and I do this and this and this is what I do and it, and that's what excites me. It doesn't always have to be. Mm. But you've lived it already reality. in your mind. Exactly. So you've, you've, you've experienced you're living it. it you're living it. You, you know, and the excitement comes from, I would do that. Yeah. You know, the building I showed you yesterday. That, that reminds derelict me. building. Yes. I yeah. can imagine what that would be like living on that the edge of that seashore the lock and how I would build that that wreck of a building and what I would do there and that excites me so much and I get so much pleasure another person was look at it and say well you're wasting your time what's the point you never do it because I get a buzz from it because it's pleasurable and I think those that are gifted with a brilliant brilliant imagination we get to live in another world. The amount of times, as a kid, it's called daydreaming. As an yes. adult, it's imagining, imagining or fantasizing. But there are things that I don't need to do because I've already lived it in my head. Yeah. And there's this. Um, I'm. We're going to wrap up soon, but it makes me think of this prisoner who was put in um, on death row in America by mistake. He's now been freed and pardoned, but for forty years, he said. He won Wimbledon four times. He won three Grand Prix. He was the CEO of a business. Like he said, he did all these things, and of course he didn't. He was in a cell five by seven feet for twenty five hours, twenty three hours a day, whatever. In his head, that is how he got through forty years in social isolation because he imagined and he lived it. He was actually, and he said he would take all day to play his tennis match. He would take the time that it would take, and he would go down the net and sit and you know change of ends and wipe his face with a towel and we can do that our brains our minds our imaginations are ours yeah and they are unlimited in their possibility yeah so Uh, yeah that's absolutely true and you don't know I visualize the shop and Sonia smile and what I do and and it, you know, after ten years, it has become a reality, and I've had it twenty-two years now. And and that that you know, landlord who took a chance on me after all, all these years, I'm still giving him the rent, and he won't. He's I'm still giving him the same rent. Yeah, he trusts me, and he is grateful for me being there. And uh, you know, taking a chance on people like that. You know, I feel I've paid him back mm. in a way. Yeah. And I give a lot. It's enabled me to give a lot to causes as well. Yeah. Um, the shop, I don't take a lot of money out. I don't need to. I could do. Take more. could make more money Yeah. with it if I, you know, went down different routes. But it's not there. The bottom line for the shop has never been to make as much money as possible no it's, it's the intention the intention it, is the to intention. empower other people and to and it's, change lives yeah and I hope that's what I do a little bit I think so sure from the do. feedback I'm sure you do 
I'm just going to finish with one last thing. And that is there will be people listening to this going, well, I don't have an imagination. I don't know how to get into envisaging and, and, and getting into my head. One very easy thing to do is stop looking at a screen. If you're <laughs> looking at a screen, your fo- you don't do this much, but people on social media will spend hours that is into someone else's world. You're, you're not, you cannot, you simply cannot watch something, a moving picture, and be in your head. So the best thing you can do for yourself is be in isolation. Be on your own. You and I spend lots of time on our own. Mm. We like that. I love my company. Mm. I'm most content, actually, in a situation like this, on a hill in nature, on my own. The, the way to nurture and grow your imagination and be comfortable on your own is to practice doing that be still you don't have to mm. be in nature you can be out you can be in mm. you, i don't know in a shop or a cafe or something but just be be alone be still in the mind don't cram it with all this social media and influence and technology and screens and films and yeah ugh, just sit just learn to be I, w- I would agree with you and i think it's a very different world for young people now clearly you know than than when I was was young um and and they I think it's very very hard for them I feel I do but it's all they've ever known yeah so they don't know about I think things are changing yeah I think it will they'll come there'll be a cycle and people like you that can be in in their company and teach them another way yeah you know You'll have had an effect on them. I shared with the group last night. So believe it or not, guys, I didn't have a phone when I was your age. What? What? How how did you survive? Mm, It's like, because I didn't need one, but also it wasn't common practice. Mm. Oh, what did you do, miss? What did you do? And I said, and also, I've never owned a television. (gasps) What? What's wrong with you? I said, there's a world out there. That's, That's my entertainment. Oh yeah, I haven't thought of that. You know, like it blew yeah. their mind. Yeah. So it's having those conversations, yeah. and hopefully today, I'm. I have no doubt today has inspired many people just to reframe their thinking. My my sort of thing is all about awareness. So just be aware of your purchasing, um, your consumer, how you do go about that, how you um, the the amount of time you gift for yourself. I think is is also really important, and your intentions what they are where they're coming from and just holding them you can continue living Mm. your life and just have them in the background Mm. and mull over Mm. and put it out there the universe will listen whatever you put out into the universe in thoughts will be listened to if it's negative you'll get more negativity if it's positive yes just don't stop dreaming that's it what a lovely place to end would you like to add anything more other than don't stop dreaming it's been a pleasure it has been wonderful (laughs) thank you so much um i hope you have got lots out of this we have been talking to rita and she owns the shop sonia's smile in howarth on the main street so check it out there is a website so um did you want to give the website a plug well it's it's (laughs) technically things i'm not very interested there is a website not very interested uh, okay we'll ignore that then guys but um it is there sonia smiles also on instagram so you can give um the shop follow Um, (laughs) thanks for listening and thank you so much rita bye